you're listening to the P-Town Church Podcast. To learn more about our in-person services or additional sermon content like this, visit palcc.org. That's P-A-L-C-C dot O-R-G. I'm so very uh, glad to have this opportunity to speak with you today. And it's always a privilege whenever I'm asked to cover. And uh, I, I just... Uh, I feel very um, thankful for the opportunity to do it anytime I get to. Uh, we're going to be continuing our deep dive into Hebrews as we have been studying chapter 3 this month and looking at the structure that God gives us for our lives that can be found in Hebrews. On March 5th, the first Sunday of the month, we talked about the special structure of Jesus, if you recall, recall that. Last week, uh, Pastor Mike spoke about the solid structure that's found in Hebrews, and today we're going to be talking about the supported structure, or perhaps you could call it the supportive structure, as we have to support those with hardened, unbelieving, and straying hearts around us. You don't have to look very far at your friends, your family, your coworkers, the people around you, the people that you interact with to find some hardened, some unbelieving, or possibly some straying hearts. And so today, we want to ask the question, uh, how do we best support the structure of God in the midst of those with hardening, unbelieving, or straying hearts? How do we best support the structure of God in the midst of those with a hardening, unbelieving, or straying heart? Now, we're going to find some uh, encouragement and some instruction here in Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be reading through uh, verses 7 through 13 today and kind of exploring where they take us um, in Scripture. So let's read that really quickly. So as the Holy Spirit says, so anytime a a verse begins with this, it's actually Scripture quoting Scripture. (laughs) So it says, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, this is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So today, we're going to talk about three specific ways that I found as I was studying Hebrews 3, 7 through 13, three specific ways that I feel like we can support best support those around us who might have struggles, who might be unbelieving, who might be straying, who might have hardening hearts. So let's begin here with verse 7, where it says, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. So God says, don't harden your hearts as as they did in the rebellion during the time of testing, but instead we're supposed to encourage one another daily. So this, like I said, it says the Holy Spirit says, so this is a reference to another scripture. And this particular scripture is Psalm 95, 
which is a reference to a scripture. So it's a reference of a reference where Psalm 95 is referencing the story of Israel as they came out of captivity and they were making their way to the promised land. And they had a really bad attitude during this time, if you've ever read this story. And so we're going to dig a little bit into that story. Since it's a reference of a reference, we need to understand what the scripture is referencing and then understand what that scripture is referencing. So we're going to dig into that story a little bit today. And, and next week, we're going to talk more about the bad attitude of the Israelites. But today, I want to talk a little bit more about Moses and the law, which was happening at this same time. So here we have this reference to a period of time when the Israelites had left Egypt God had begun to organize them into their own nation. Do you remember this? They were in captivity. They left. And he was sort of giving them this structure. He started to organize them into tribes, and he gave them laws and leaders or priests, right? And the high priest, of course, is Moses. We know this. Moses was the high priest. And one of the most notable things that God did through Moses during this period of time is he gave him the Ten Commandments to give to Israel, right? Now, surely you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Everybody in here heard of the Ten Commandments? Can you recite them from memory? You shall have no other God before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You should keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. Now, this was actually the first ten of 613 total commandments or laws that God would give to the Jewish people during this time. But essentially, God says to them, if you will do these things, if you will follow these laws, you will be my people, and I will be your God. And as we see in Exodus chapter 24, the Jewish people accept this. They agree to this, and, and this is what's called a covenant, right? So Exodus 24, starting in verse 3, it says, When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord has said. Then he took the book of the covenant, so the collection of laws, and he read it to the people. And they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. And then Moses took the blood, he sprinkled it on the people, and he said, There is blood. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the moment that God and the people of Israel entered into what we call the first covenant. They do it willingly, right? Not under coercion. They just they accept God as their God and his laws, and he begins to give them this structure this structure of life, a way to live. This is a pretty amazing moment if you um, are into this idea of the covenant and what it means for what Jesus did. But I want to set that aside uh, just for a second because I want to actually talk to you about the practicality of what God had done in this moment. So think about it. Here's this group of people. They had been under slavery, captivity, 
They had lived under the government of a completely different country. They did whatever that leader needed. They lived under tyranny. The structure that they lived under was the structure of tyranny. And now they come out of that. They come out of captivity. They come out of that structure. And what do they have? Well, they have nothing until God organizes them into something. And he actually presents them, especially if you look at these Ten Commandments, with a very practical set of rules that sort of organizes them and gives them this structure by which they can live, and not only live, but thrive. And not only thrive, but they become set apart from every other nation in the world. We spiritualize these things, but there's very practical things going on here, too, aren't there? And that brings us to the first point. I want you to consider writing this down on the back side of your worship guide there. And that is that we best support our community by following God's law ourselves. We best support our community by following God's law ourselves. Remember our question, how do we best support the structure of God? Well, we best support our community by following God's laws ourselves. It's one of the most valuable ways we can contribute to the structure that God has given us and thereby positively impact those around us. We follow God's law in our own lives. Now, I doubt many of you in here today uh, would argue with the value of adhering to the Ten Commandments. Or if you tried, you'd have a pretty tall order explaining how covetousness or murder or infidelity is good for your community. I don't think that you'd make that argument. And God sets up his nation for success by saying, if you're my people and you love me, then you will do these things. And they aren't just things that are good for him or make him feel good. They're really valuable, practical things for the people to whom he gave them. They're really practical, valuable things that help organize their community in this sort of structured way to make it a better place. They're really valuable, practical things that make each of their individual lives better. God's law is good. And it's not just good in some spiritual way, although it is good in a spiritual way. It's good in a practical way. And if we follow God's law, we can build these amazing cultures that can achieve these wonderful things. But the human heart is deceitful above all things. And even if we are aware of God's laws, we can't always follow them, can we? This is what we see with the people of Israel throughout this story. We see him give the law to his people, but as Hebrews points out here, their hearts were always going astray. Hebrews 3, uh, verse 10, picking up in verse 10, he says, That is why I was angry with that generation. I gave them my law, but their hearts were always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I, I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Referencing here that they're not going to get into the promised land. So see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He's saying don't be like the Israelites who were first given the law, who had sinful, unbelieving hearts. They didn't see the value of my law. They didn't see the practicality of my law. They didn't, they didn't see the, the worth of my law. See to it, brothers and sisters, that you are not like that. Instead, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hmm. 
So he gives us this law, and this law has a practical value to our lives. And so the first, the first answer to the question then is, how do we best support our community? Well, we follow God's law ourselves. How do we encourage one another? We follow God's law ourselves to the best of our ability, the best that we can, because there is a practical value for it. Let's continue on. How else might we support those around us whose hearts are going astray? This is our second point for today. We best support our community when we don't confuse our laws for God's law. Now, there's a lot of wild things that happen throughout the story of Moses and the Israelites post-Egyptian slavery. But one of the things that stood out to me as it relates to today's content when I was studying is found in uh, Numbers 12. And this is where Miriam and Aaron position themselves against Moses for some reason. The people have been pretty much complaining nonstop, and they're not even close to being done. Again, we're going to explore some of those complaints a little bit more next week. But in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of God's people that he's just entered into this covenant with, constantly complaining, just constantly, constantly whining to to Moses, whining to the leaders. In the midst of all of this, Aaron and Miriam decide this. Numbers 12, verse 1, it says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Why? Because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Imagine if scripture said that in parentheses about you. He was very humble, implying that he probably wasn't addressing what they were saying. He's so humble that he's just sort of sitting back. And they're saying, hasn't God spoken through us too? Is he only speaking through Moses? Verse 4, at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come to the tent of meeting. This is bad. Come to the tent. Have you ever been called into the principal's office? At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face. Clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. So, in other words, we don't speak for God where he hasn't asked us to. 
See, this is my fear. I think that one of the things that we do that has the opposite effect for supporting our community, for supporting those with straying, hardening, unbelieving hearts, is we speak for God where he hasn't actually asked us to. What Miriam and Aaron did here was serious, and I don't know what their specific issue was with Moses' Cushite wife, but clearly it was not an issue for God. It was an issue for them. Are we doing this in our own way today? I can think of a few examples that I feel like I've seen this or, 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 or maybe even participated in, in my own life. I think sometimes we, we hide our sort of sinful pride before this faux spirituality. Hasn't God also spoken through me? Maybe it's gossip through prayer requests. You guys participated in this or had this happen? You might want to pray for Brother Jim Bob. Oh, you didn't know? Let's just say he can't find the end of a bottle. Pray for Charlotte. I heard her daughter's a Democrat. (laughs) Pray for Seth. I saw him walk out of Walmart with six packs of Oreos and a gallon of milk. I don't know what's going on in his life, but he clearly needs prayer. We need to be careful not to hide behind our faux spirituality. Another way that I've seen people do this is when they say, the Lord told me to tell you, The Lord told me to tell you. Have you ever experienced this? The Lord told me to tell you, Sarah, that you're not praying enough. The Lord told me uh, that you're going to be a millionaire. I like that one. I heard a story of a guy who told multiple women in the local singles ministry that the Lord told him during his prayer time they were going to be his wife. (laughs) That's quite the pickup line. Another phrase that we should be cautious about is the Bible clearly says, the Bible clearly says, I've experienced that with a friend who had a lot of really interesting thoughts about some of the more complex passages of scripture, whether he was talking about the Nephilim or the Garden of Eden or those types of things. And he would just be talking about these really interesting ideas. And I would say, wow, interesting. Where in scripture does does it say that? And he would often reply, I don't remember specifically, but it's in there. We need to be careful when we are representing God, don't we? We need to be sure when we are representing God. Now, before you get too upset with me, I'm, what I'm not saying here is I'm not saying that Scripture isn't clear on certain things. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit won't give you promptings, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for the challenges that people face in their lives. But what I am saying is that before you seek to represent God, You should carefully examine your heart and thoughts surrounding what it is that you want to pray, say, or reference. Because representing God is serious business. We do this, though. We mix ourselves into what God is uh, doing, and it can be difficult not to. But if we're not careful with this, we actually do more harm than good, and we might undercut the support that we're supposed to provide for a struggling peer. We need to be careful not to speak when God hasn't asked us to. But we also need to be careful not to add to what he has said. This is our third example. We best support our community when we don't add to God's laws. Now there's this moment in Numbers uh, 20 where the people of Israel, they're just really complaining, as I said. 
They're just, oh, they're so thirsty, you guys. They're so thirsty. They're in the desert. It kind of reminds me of when my kids are hungry or thirsty. Have you ever experienced this as parents or grandparents? They just go from nothing to starving in seconds. <laughs> Dad, I'm starving. I'm starving. Amazing, because you didn't eat all your lunch 15 minutes ago. My kids aren't always thirsty, but if they are, it's definitely right at bedtime after we've brushed teeth, prayed, the lights are off, and we're about to close the door. That's when they're the thirstiest. So anyway, the Israelites, they're really thirsty. They're complaining, oh, we're so thirsty. It'd be better that we'd be dead. And then this happens. Numbers 20, verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting, and they fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him, He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm, and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. How many passages ago were we talking about faithful in all people, the most humble man, and yet here he does something for God to say, you didn't, because you didn't trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Now this might go right over your head if you're not paying close attention here. There is a discussion that's been happening for hundreds, thousands of years probably on what exactly Moses and Aaron's sin was that would disqualify them from entering into the promised land. But I just want us to dial in to this distinction here between what God says and what Moses did because I think it has bearing on our lives. Let's go back to verse seven. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water, okay? And then verse nine, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he was commanded. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And he he raised his arm, and he struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out. Now listen, God in his righteous anger had been on display throughout many of the interactions in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. It it was there. 
But this particular time, whether it was because their complaining was more just their attitude and less a condition of their hearts, or whatever was taking place, God simply said to Moses, go to the rock and speak to it and water will come out. He, he heard the cries and frustration of the people, and even though they had been whining and complaining and stubborn and dramatic, he's a kind God. He's a gracious God, a loving God, a God that meets the needs of his people. And he says, Moses, speak to the rock, and it will pour out the water that you need. And then what does Moses do? Listen, you rebels. He strikes the rock twice with his staff. See, my fear is this. It's that we have a God who is infinitely kind and loving. he's, He's loving with us. It's a God who, Scripture says, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. A God who sent his son to put on flesh and die on our behalf because he knew that our hearts would always stray from him without his intervening. It's my fear that we take the truth of that God and we go to the culture around us. We go to the wavering, wandering, unbelieving, and we say, listen here, you rebels. When God has simply asked us to go give them a drink. We say, listen here, you bunch of disgusting sinners. We pound the rock, adding our own anger or frustration or insecurity into the mix. When God has simply said, go give my people a drink. My people are thirsty, go give them a drink. That's not what Hebrews asks us to do. Verse 13 says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called What? Today. You ever experienced a day that isn't today? As long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, it was sadly too late for those that wavered in the wilderness to enter into the promised land. But this isn't so for us today. I love it here that Hebrews 13 says, as long as it's today, encourage one another. There's still hope for us to support each other. There's still hope for those with wandering, wavering, unbelieving hearts. So long as there is a today, we are supposed to support those around us by following God's law ourselves, being careful not to speak where he hasn't asked us to, and be careful not to add to what he has said. We could never keep that first covenant. We couldn't do it, they couldn't do it, we couldn't do it. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. God hasn't left us in the wilderness. As we keep studying Hebrews, we're going to get to chapter 8, and it says this, verse 10, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. So after the first covenant, we're talking about a new covenant here. He says, I will put my laws in their minds and inscribe them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will each one teach his neighbor to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. 
man, I'm so very glad for that new covenant. Because God acknowledges that we're going to fail. Try as we might to follow these three instructions we've talked about today. We're going to mess it up. And I have good news for those of you uh, who are learning that for the first time. He says that he is going to uh, redeem his people in the future. And the future that this scripture is talking about was the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And what happened was, even though we could never keep that covenant, and there was no way for us to successfully follow God's law the way that we needed to, so that we could enter into his rest, so that we could enter into eternity with him, he knew that the only way that was going to happen is if we would be redeemed. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. And part of the transaction of Jesus redeeming us, part of the practicality of the work that Jesus did, is he made it possible for us to better follow his law. And this problem will ultimately be solved once we arrive in heaven. And so today, I want to encourage you. We have a community of wavering, hardening, unbelieving people around us. And I want you to try and follow all of these things that I've talked about today. But when you fail, remember that you have a Savior who has made it right. A Savior who's saying, you don't have to uh, be sad. You don't have to be caught up in your sin. You don't have to be condemned by the things that you do. You can be set free by the renewing of your mind because of the work that I've done. God will put the laws in your minds and he will inscribe them on your hearts and he will be your God and you can be part of his people and you can know him personally. Man, I can't wait to continue to talk about this next week as we talk about it from the perspective of um, the, the Israelites. I hope you'll join us next week whenever we continue to dig in uh, to this chapter in Hebrews and we continue to read these verses. But for today, I want you to ponder these three things. I want you to, I want you to ponder it as you leave here today. How can you best follow God's law? In what ways are you representing him where you haven't been asked? And in what ways are you adding to what he has said? Because none of us does all three of these things perfectly all the time. We all fail in some way. So let's consider that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for these individuals who have gathered here with us. We pray over Pastor Mike and Elizabeth as they have some time away, a time to rest, a time to recuperate. We pray that you would give them great peace as they are there. Thank you, God, that it takes no specific high priest. It takes no specific pastor so that we can gather together and meet with you. We, we No longer do we need the tent of meeting and the layout of the tabernacle. No, we all know you personally. If we know Jesus, we know you. I thank you that we can gather here in your name and you say, man, wherever two or more are gathered, I'm gonna be there because you're my people and I am your God. Thank you for giving that promise to us. Thank you for participating in our lives. Thank you for coming to us with your word. We ask today, God, that you would speak to our hearts and in whatever way, because I know it's not my words. I know I'm not clever. I know I'm not special. I know it's your word. I know it's your truth that has the power. 
And so whatever was said today, God, we, we commit it to you and we ask that you would cement it into our hearts, that we would have a better understanding of your law and your desires for our lives so that we can better love the people around us. What a privilege it is to be called your people. May we not take it for granted. And every single day, may we get up and encourage one another. Because as we examine next week, the world definitely is going to try and get us to waver. But we don't have to if we remain focused on you and your goodness and your law and the value it has in our lives. God, we thank you so much for all of this time we've had to gather here in safety and security, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are just...